Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Today, we're honored to have Sagrin Moodley, Senior Vice President, Clinical Data Services and Technology at United Healthcare, and Chair and Co founder of the HL7 Da Vinci Project. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And as I've said, we have Sagrin Moodley, Senior Vice President, Clinical Data Services and Technology at United Healthcare, and Chair and Co-Founder of the HL7 Da Vinci Project. Sagrin has more than 20 years leading transformative healthcare IT and business initiatives in both the public and the private sectors. He's held multiple senior leadership roles in the private sector, including positions across United Healthcare and Optum. In the public sector, he's worked closely with state governments to lead the promotion and adoption of the Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health, High Tech Act, and many other large-scale IT implementations at the state level. Notably, Sagrin assumed the technology implementation that contributed to the successful turnaround of the original Affordable Care Act. That's the Massachusetts Affordable Health Care Act exchange, uh, bringing the Commonwealth's ACA transition back on track. Welcome, Sagrin, and we're happy to have you on our show today. Thank you very much for having me, Matthew. All right. So, Sagrin, we like to start this show usually with uh, talking a little bit about your background and, and how you came to be a healthcare leader. So so what's your origin story? What, what brought you uh, to where you are today? Well, uh, you know, I... Um, it's a very interesting question. I, um, as, as you know, thank you for the introduction. Um, so I have spent significant, uh, uh, you know, two plus decades in in uh, these transformative uh, uh, business initiatives across health IT. And it was maybe two two themes that two primary themes that has always uh, been important to me. It's it's uh, it's the following. Number one. As an industry, we had this intersection of innovation and, and business disruption. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. <clears throat> On the innovation side, think about the advances we've had in the last five to 10 years, not just electric vehicles, but think of autonomous driving. And on the business disruption side, think about Uber as opposed to you know the traditional public transportation methods of taxis and, and other. And so so that's number one. So it's this 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 opportunity or obligation of tech innovation and business disruption is is uh, is uh, very appealing and leaves me with a sense of restlessness. The second is this passion and commitment to drive societal value. And what I mean by that is uh, we all have a personal story that we can relate to about the abrasion and frustration in navigating healthcare. And... Um, it's this notion of how do we pay forward this generational value, so to speak, of leaving healthcare in a much better place than we found it. And so, you know, it's no surprise that I've always leaned towards, outside of my day job, 
um, working in industry-first uh, public good initiatives, whether it's um, uh, my role on, on HL7 driving standards for the industry, my role in DaVinci to drive uh, and accelerate standards for the industry. Um, I have a role on, on e-health initiative as well. And um, outside of uh, health IT, I, I have a board role on the Africa Exchange Project, which is a uh, nonprofit dedicated to providing access to clean water and quality education and healthcare in Pomerini in Tanzania. My origin is I, I grew up in South Africa of Indian origin, uh, immigrated to, to the U.S. over two decades ago, and so had first-hand experience of the challenges in um, with disparities or inequities in healthcare and, and just basic, basic essential services. Okay. Um, thank you. So I heard two things there. The innovation aspect and the business disruption you're uh, you've been attracted to and has been a theme throughout your life, and then that driving societal value. So let's talk about your role in at HL7, and then we'll move on to the Da Vinci. Uh, but can you help us distinguish between those two projects? The umbrella is HL7, an organization, international organization, been around for uh, years, decades maybe, um, and then the Da Vinci project, which is relatively new. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, we often get this question. Uh, if you have HL7, and HL7 has, has, has done a phenomenal, much, much needed role that they play in, in the industry to drive standards. If we have HL7, why why DaVinci? And and so maybe let me talk a little bit about that because that's, that's a really important question. So there's several use cases that span many, many different business initiatives. Uh, and, and I talk of this, about this in the context of providers and payers. So for example, providers and payers interact on various aspects, quality improvement, meaning gaps in care and data exchange for quality measures would be one. Um, burden reduction, um, how do we you know, uh, work together in meaningful ways to reduce, reduce the abrasion and improve uh, the efficiencies in how we work? Because at the end of the day, we, we want to drive better outcomes and not delay care. Uh, others could be member access, giving members the decision, the information they need so they can make better decisions, inform cost and quality decisions uh, about their health, and then just a host of others. So if if those have always been in play, how do we solve for it? Well, the way we solve for it, unfortunately, under the traditional model, and in most cases, the current state model, pays and providers would be sitting down and building or working together to, to, to exchange data, whether it's a provider directory or formulary or uh, the things I talked about. And unfortunately, we do this on a, in a one-off way. So let me use the analogy, and I think you, we talked, you may have seen something about this notion of a Lego block. So let me talk, let me talk about it. Imagine that a pay and a provider uh, decided that they were going to build a fire station with Lego blocks. <clears throat> and this fire station, you know, of course, let's talk about it in terms of a fire station, but let's imagine it's gaps in care or data exchange for quality measures or provider directory or pay a data exchange. But let's just use this analogy of a fire station for Lego blocks. What they would do is they would meet and they would throw a thousand blocks on the table 
And they would go up to the whiteboard and say, let's design what this fire station could look like. And it would go back and forth and they would, you know, ideate on this fire station and eventually they would build it and they would look at it and say, well, it doesn't quite meet the need and they'll continue to iterate on it. And every provider and payer would be doing the same thing. Now, let me lay, let me lay another perspective. What if CMS said providers or payers need to exchange a Lego block fire station? So CMS would set this, the, the, the mandate or the policy ONC would say, and by the way, you need to at minimum have 200 blocks in this fire station, USCDI, and in these 200, you need to at minimum have red, yellow, and green. HO7 would say, and by the way, I'm going to define the standard way they should all look, the standard size, and I'm going to define the standard way they interlock. And I'm going to define that red is this red and blue is this blue and yellow is this blue. Now, if you stop right there and didn't go further and there was no Da Vinci, what would you have is you'd have exactly the scenario I just described earlier. Pay and provider would throw a thousand pieces or 10,000 pieces on the table and they would say, oh, but we got to have 200 and it's got to be this red and it's got to be this yellow and let's build and build and build and everybody would be doing this. Da Vinci comes along and says, wait a minute, what if we built a prototype for this fire station? What if we brought all the stakeholders to the table and we took into account what the policies are and we took into account what the USCDI ONC requirements are about the 200 minimum blocks and we ideated on this and built the prototype when we put it out as a standard and we ballot it as a standard and we seek feedback from the industry and we put it to test in these hackathons, these uh, HL7 uh, hackathons, or what we call connectathons. And we test it over and over. And when everybody feels that it has the right level that we can define it as a draft standard for trial reuse, we'll put it out in the industry as a blueprint for what this thing could look like. Now, if a provider and payer wanted to build a fire station for Lego blocks, would they throw a thousand pieces on the table and go up to a whiteboard? Or they simply, or would they simply pull up the blueprint? That's the difference. So what Da Vinci's charge or aim of doing is creating these blueprints, aka implementation guides, that's representative of a diverse community of clinical uh, input and provider input and uh, EMR vendors are you know active participants in the Da Vinci project. We have over 50 plus organizations. And all of these, of course, payers, HL7, CMS. And so all these stakeholders together are sitting on the table and saying, how do we create the standard? How do we create the blueprint for the industry so that this is the key now? If you do this and everybody adopts it in the same way, you now have a payer agnostic solution. You have a provider agnostic solution because if all payers adopt that same approach, then providers now have a payer agnostic solution. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, and I love that analogy. And, and what I think about is, you know, it's the difference actually between doing Lego blocks with my three and five-year-old and then doing Lego blocks with my 16-year-old. And with the 16-year-old, you actually have the blueprint there. And you, when you're with the three-year-old, there's no blueprint. 
different and it comes out different every time right but here you're building the death star the millennium vulcan with legos and you and you have a specific blueprint and you know where each piece goes um so so uh, uh tell me um so we've got this blueprint for the firehouse or or what the standard is it sounds like da vinci though has a lot of work to do like there are a lot of different kinds of firehouses that need standards for them uh, lots of different uh, use cases, lots of different standards that need building. Is this a, is this? Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. In fact, I, I'm I, I'm overwhelmed by the success we've had. So just in just short three years, you know, three years ago, and I'll, I'll tell you the biggest breakthrough for Da Vinci is is the following: three years ago, when we when we had the idea, you know, we thought this was much needed. We wanted to accelerate standards for value based care. And there was half a dozen use cases, half a dozen fires like fire like uh, houses that we needed to build blueprints for. Uh, gaps in care, data exchange for quality measures. Providers always wanted data from payers, so we said payer data exchange made sense. That would be a use case. We always wanted data from providers, so we said clinical data exchange makes sense. That that would be a use case. And we had a half a dozen. Today, three short years later, we have over 15 use cases. And over almost 10 of these use cases have achieved drought, a, draft, a standard for trial use maturity. That means they at some level where they published as an initial standard for the industry to adopt. And there's this constant feedback loop on how we can consistently, uh, uh, you know, enhance and, and refine it. So, and, and from that, I'm, I'm proud, to, proud to say that uh, maybe eight, nine are referenced or named in some form or fashion by CMS and ONC. So in a short three years, I often think of it as, is, 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 the, is the standards is this clinical data exchange standards what EDI for claims? So that when when you had EDI for uh, uh, exchange for claims, you knew how to exchange your claim, an 837 or 835 or a 270 or 271. Is that what this is becoming? Because absent these standards to exchange payer data exchange or to exchange clinical data exchange, and if you look at the Karen Alliance, another accelerator, the patient access interoperability rule defines how we make patient data available to consumers. And so imagine if there wasn't a standard, i.e. a blueprint, we would all be scrambling as payers to figure out how would we do this. And it'll be unique for every one of us. But with that standard, and this is another you know, accelerator, just like DaVinci, so all these accelerators are, are, are doing the same thing whether it's uh, caring for the member and consumer, whether it's gravity for social determinants of health, whether it's Da Vinci for payer and provider data exchange, whether it's Codex, we all have become accelerators. And as accelerators, we're accelerating the, the building of these blueprints for different business problems or business, different business domains for the industry to adopt and accelerate uh, into implementations. 
So, so this is great, actually, because I think I'm learning something new. I've, I've heard accelerator, the term used quite often, and it, it sounds great because all I can think about is me as a 16-year-old with my foot on the gas going very quickly, right? Accelerator has a great term. And so HL7's The Da Vinci Project is an example of accelerator, and we're seeing others in, in, in that are related um, which are basically pushing these standards forward, pushing these blueprints forward in a, in a, a cross-private, public, commercial, payer, provider uh, kind of uh, context. Is that correct? 100%. And so, and, and, and the, the, the beauty of the accelerators is, look, uh, there's, there's a couple of fundamental principles with an accelerator. One, um, you have to you have to come at it with an industry-first mindset. And, and let me talk about that for a second. So one of the biggest breakthroughs we had in DaVinci three years ago when I, I was about to talk about it earlier and we, we, I, I moved on a little bit from it, but this is what it is. When we sat down and we said, we gotta bring industries together, the industry together to do this work, the, because Da Vinci in of itself is not a legal entity, we, we created the accelerator program under HL7. So we, we'd operate under the umbrella of HL7. So your, the agreement that every participant or member has is not with Da Vinci, it's with HL7. So if you want to participate in Da Vinci, you enter into a, an agreement with HL7. Now imagine you have fierce competitors in every other day, uh, in, in everyday business, from payers to EMR vendors, sitting in a room together, ideating on uh, standards and innovation. Can you imagine the first conversation we had with the lawyers of each entity? Every <laughs> entity wanted a 100-page agreement. Right. And that's when I realized we are going to fail before we even get started. Because trying to get payers to all agree uh, and every payer's lawyer, every EMR vendor's lawyer, every provider's lawyer was very, very concerned about obviously antitrust and all, all kinds of other issues. And so we had one principle that was, we have to have faith in the integrity of what we're trying to do. And with that faith, if we can't do it, nobody can in, in this way. And we can agree to the same agreement we all gonna agree to the same agreement. Now think about that for a second. That's that's burden I'm reduction. Getting, that's I'm great. Pass United's lawyers, and we had to get it to pass Epic's lawyers and Cerner's lawyers and all the other pays lawyers. Think about that. Just think about and, and a lot of times we talk about the innovation on the technology side, Matthew. I'm talking about innovation on the business side. Right. And we could all agree to the same agreement and sign the same agreement without anybody making modifications. Because why it was, it, was, it was an overarching commitment, passion. I use the word, not opportunity. I use a different word called obligation. And the obligation for us to come together as an industry, private and public sector, in an industry-first manner, in a public good manner, in a societal value manner, driving the generational value, because if we don't do it, 
and can put those those issues aside and focus on the task at hand, it'll never happen. So that was that was one of you know whenever I reflect on how we where we've come from and what we've been able to do, that is always the one thing that I I just uh, have just a tremendous amount of of gratitude to our members to the community for having the faith and the trust in that we'll do right by the you know by the them and by the industry to do this. I love that idea of of having uh, faith and having that faith uh, uh, convince uh, many uh, well-paid lawyers throughout the industry. That's really something. Uh, uh, and I, it also seems to me that that what uh, Da Vinci has done and maybe the accelerators in general has really kind of revolutionized how we implement standards uh, across other industries, right? Um, in other words, I think you can take this model and and not just use it for health data. But use it for other industry. You know, uh, it's, it's actually a very, very good question. And in fact, that that is now use the word opportunity. That is the opportunity because when you think of COVID, the, the how COVID has amplified and really uh, what I call redefine the boundaries and and and, and you know it, it forces us to redefine the boundaries of of delivery, healthcare delivery, and it forces us to break this glass ceiling. And I say this in from a number of uh, perspectives. One is telehealth and virtual care. Patients are getting more comfortable in using technology for virtual care and using remote patient monitoring. In fact, I saw an article not too long ago that year over year, there was, year over year, there was an 1,800% increase in telehealth startups and almost 168% increase in funding for remote patient device monitoring startups. And so there's demand in home care, including hospital at home. And, and of course, uh, you know, the, the shift, and we see a lot of, lot of examples of that. So what does that mean? How would we interact in new settings of care where the home gets extended um, to, to serve, you know, as, as a, a, a care setting? How would we standardize remote patient device data exchange? How would we standardize home infusion that's now spiking and significantly moving to home or home dialysis? How would we standardize mental health that you saw the challenges around social isolation and the mental health uh, uh, challenges it created for many during during the pandemic? Uh, Social determinants, that's already happening because we saw that the most vulnerable and the most disadvantaged communities were the hardest hit when it came to to COVID. And so gravity is working on standardizing ICD-10 codes for social determinants, housing insecurity and transportation. Um, And then there's, uh, you know, other aspects. We we try to understand hospital surge capacity and bed day availability during the, the, the pandemic. There wasn't a lot of standards around how you could just ping a facility and try to get a sense of that. We saw challenges around public health reporting. What would be the standard to drive it? And we see this, the notion of a vaccine passport being talked about or being contemplated. Um, state immunization registries, that, that how, would we, how would we drive that immunization transparency at, at various levels to, to, to population health reporting? And then contact tracing. We saw some countries use very sophisticated models for, you know, c- containing uh, outbreaks through contact tracing. So, 
I just touched on a couple of things, but to your point, there could be in those approaches and those business problems and those opportunities, other models to think of this accelerator concept where you can bring diverse stakeholders together to think about building the quote unquote blueprints. So it's not one-off companies uh, like the tech, big tech companies in Silicon Valley building the solution for super remote patient monitoring, but it's an industry adopted solution. Uh, that's terrific. And I think you just gave us a whole laundry list of uh, another dozen accelerators that can be started up to, to figure out standards for all of those uh, data questions that we had during the pandemic. I think what's interesting about that too is, you know, as being a consumer, I think we're all consumers of healthcare data for the last year, year and a half here, right? Because we're all reading the statistics, we're all reading the hospital uh, beds and everything. And, and I know there was a lot of complaints about not having some of that data or that data not being all in one place. What's fascinating about what you say is we actually have a lot of work to do in terms of standards to get us to a place where we can talk about data in one place. It's not just about, you know, like you said, it's not just about sending the data in because everybody's got a different uh, fire station or, you know, as you talk about, everybody's got a different 110 plug, right? Uh, right. So uh, I think it's interesting because it talks about, it really it addresses how much work we really have to do, but also we have a tool now, these uh, accelerators that we can apply to it. Um, any other any other lessons we can talk, take uh, take away from uh, COVID, good or bad, in terms of health IT? No, I, I, I you know, I, I would, when I think about, you know, you've heard the term consumerization. And when we think of healthcare and, and um, 21st century experiences in other sectors, we have a very high bar of, as consumers, what we expect, whether you doing e-commerce or whether you're in the financial, conducting financial transactions or whether you're in any other, in travel, our tolerance for, for delays or, or, or long waits and is very low. We, we just don't tolerate it. And I often wonder, you know, I, I look forward to the day when we no longer talk about interoperability in healthcare. Because the fact that we talk about it, and it still makes its way on the executive, you know, in in a lot of the uh, language that we that we you know in, uh, that we talk about in 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 many settings, means that it's just not where it needs to be. Now I get when I say this, I also get the fact that there's more complexity than 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 in other sectors. For example. I always talk very simply about the idea that in 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 the in an e-com sector, if you if you were conducting a transaction and you get an invoice, the invoice will clearly spell out what the buyer bought and what the seller sold. But in healthcare, try to think about a healthcare invoice or an EOB. The buyer don't know what they bought and the seller don't know what they sold. And so the challenges and, and even the terminologies uh, provider, as an example, are we talking about physician? Are we talking about a dentist? Are we talking about a physical therapist? Are we talking about a home health social worker uh, or a patient? If it's a patient for a physician, or is it a patient for a payer? And so even in the fundamentals of uh, healthcare, the definitions are, are extremely uh, complicated. 
But I, you know, I, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of good work, and I'm bullish about interoperability on several fronts. I'm bullish because EMR connectivity is the highest it's ever been. I think I saw a, um, a health IT government study report going back to 2015, 2016, where EMRs in hospitals was 96, 97% thanks to meaningful use. Even in the ambulatory or physician space, it was in the high 88, 87, 88%. In the past, it used to be your brother-in-law's access database. But even ambulatory physicians are adopting meaning, you know, MU certified EMRs. That's one. Number two, fire is real. Um, we've seen many examples of, of fire adoption. Three, value-based care, moving from quantity to quality. Uh, four is federal reform. We see a lot of activity around 21st century cures and the work that's been done, and you saw the interoperability patient access uh, API or the rule, the data blocking rule, uh, the burden reduction rules that are working its way through uh, now. And then, of course, the post-COVID um, amplification of, of why this is needed, you know, sooner rather than later. So all of this is creating tremendous groundswell. Uh, and here's the one thing I would, I would, I would maybe spike out in this conversation of COVID, Matthew. If you were to uh, think about the breakthroughs we've had as a result of the pandemic, think about a vaccine in under two years. And then think about many corporations, large enterprises, who found very innovative, innovative ways to break through bureaucracies and the traditional processes and policies of getting things done. It's unprecedented. And you hear the story all the time about how we were able to do things in weeks, not months, and in months, not years. And it would be a travesty if our muscle memory pulled us back into that pre-COVID delivery mindset of where we delivered it on the space that was just not fast enough. And the fact that we've proved that we can operate under very different environments with a very different sense of urgency. I'm making the appeal that the sense of urgency of modernizing healthcare is now. It was there before COVID and it's even more needed now pro post COVID. And the appeal is how do we carry that momentum forward uh, with that, that, that new sense of urgency to break through traditional barriers of, of and constraints of how we get things done. Right. It, it, it does feel like it, it is the moment uh, to transform uh, healthcare and certainly healthcare IT. Um, Post-pandemic, that urgency you're talking about, number of uh, incentives and a number of initiations and projects. Uh, I think about the transparency requirements that seem to be working on the administrative front. There's going to be a, a lot of data about healthcare out there in the next couple of years. Um, what is your vision for healthcare in the future? Maybe from the point of view of the consumer, 
Um, will things look different in five, 10 years? And, and if they if they will be different, what's going to be different for the patient? You know, I I, I, I come back to this uh, this term called, you know, because there's a term, uh, you know, referred to as consumerization of healthcare, retailization of healthcare. You hear a lot of these terms. And that's really, I think, the patient access interoperability rule is was the first genre of really empowering consumers uh, and and uh, uh, putting them in 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 control. And what what that means, and especially, I mean, you know, and I have I have kids and and I've uh, grown kids, and I'll tell you, they interact in a very different way in all cases, with every in every aspect of their lives. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see them waiting in a traditional uh, physician office, sitting there waiting for a visit. I see them in in, in a virtual care setting. Um, I don't see them going in for uh, you know traditional uh, uh, examinations when they can use remote patient monitoring that that you know with their eye watch and their remote patient devices on a blood pressure cuff or a. Um, you know, uh, uh, a Dexcom G5 device for diabetes. This is, you know, this this digital um, era of how healthcare starts to change is happening. It's now it's not happening at a much rapid pace, of course, as a result of COVID. But I think it just creates it creates the catalyst for that to really advance in in very meaningful and very rapid ways, and. Uh, I think that's going to be the difference. The difference is going to be um, your the relationships you have with providers would be very different. The traditional relationship you have is is uh, going to be very different than the relationship you have when you put in an appointment request for a for, for a visit and on telehealth and someone in the practice shows up and says, "I can see you at two o'clock tomorrow because that's convenient for you." And that's why interoperability is even more important because you may be seeing someone, you may be visiting with a physician who knows very little about you. And so that clinical data exchange, whether it's your problem list, medication list, your visit history, all from claims data, that's why payer data exchange is important because payers can move quickly, bring that into the workflow. If you had asked me what interoperability was five, seven, eight years ago, I would have said it was about data liquidity moving the data quickly from one setting to another. If you ask me what interoperability is now, I, I would say it's not just data integration, it's workflow integration. Mm. But when I say workflow integration, we can't go from alert fatigue to app fatigue. What I mean is we can't just infiltrate the workflow with all kinds of apps. We need to be very thoughtful about what information is relevant for that visit at that time for that physician in that setting and then present it in a very seamless and very succinct uh, manner. And that's gonna be the catalyst for how healthcare delivery changes. That's interesting too, to think about the, uh, it's not just throwing a bunch of apps and technology on it, it's actually disrupting how, how things actually move, actually disrupting the process, work process, and how healthcare is delivered. Um, this has been great. Do you have any uh, resources that you'd like to talk to, uh, to share with the listeners today that, that they should look up some of what we've talked about today? No, absolutely. Thank you very much. So I, I really encourage uh, um, 
the listeners to 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 look up HL7 uh, uh, Da Vinci. It's on the HL7 Confluence site. And uh, you know, earlier when I said we were building IP for the for public good, that we really take that you know that is really the overarching theme. And so if you go onto the HL7 website. Not only will you find the blueprints that I talked about earlier, we call it the implementation guide. We also build reference implementations. Think of this as the code, the sample code of how you could, what we need to do in an application to put that implementation guide to use. We've also built reference implementations. So there's code sitting in the HL7 Confluence site open to the public. And so you can go out there and the resources are available. You can look at the implementation guides. You can look at this, the, the reference implementations of how to apply uh, those blueprints into, into your own environment. There are forums and work groups and operating committee meetings and connect-a-thons, participate in HL7. We have a, a education event, depending on when your listeners listen to this, in April, end of April, there's a HL7 a Da Vinci education event coming up. You know, and, and um, this is year and now, and whether it's HL7 or Karen or Gravity or Codex, these are very applicable and very relevant. And if you're watching uh, federal reform play out, You'll start to see references to Fire and Open Access APIs, and you know there's a lot of applicability to to this work. But most important, we have to pay forward. And so one of the biggest drivers uh, for me is when I go, when we act, when we participate in all of these uh, work groups, there's a very small community of experts who know their way around these standards. And recently, Da Vinci created the Community Champions Award, and I'm pleased to say it was the first year we launched it. We nominated seven uh, uh, industry leaders to as as recipients of this award. And the purpose of this award is the spade forward mentality. We need a new generation. We need fresh perspectives. We need um, new, uh, you know, uh, resources. Uh, coming into the project, that we can share uh, this, this this history of, of standards and the, the process and standard development, uh, uh, you know, how you go about doing this work. And I'm encouraging, uh, whether it's uh, folks coming out of college and they're trying to understand what health IT is all about and what our standards mean, get involved, participate, because we want those disruptive ideas, those innovative ideas, we want those fresh perspectives, and we want to create this, this paid-forward mindset to, to, to set this up for, for generations to come. Very good. And, and that pay-it-forward idea gets back to your one of your themes through your your experience, which is driving societal value. Uh, so we brought it all the way around. Uh, Segment, it's been great to have you on your show. I'll also remind uh, the uh, listeners that Da Vinci will also be presenting at the 2021 Weedy Spring Conference. Uh, so look for that and learn more about uh, HL7 and Da Vinci. Segment, again, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It was fun. Terrific. Thank you. This has been the collective voice of health IT. 
a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe. Be sure to mark your calendars for these upcoming Weedy events. On April 21st, leveraging interoperability to advance value-based care. This is free to the industry, sponsored by Nant Health. On April 28th, Ready, Set, Comply, meeting the information blocking challenge. Free to the industry and sponsored by MCG. And in May, be sure to register for Weedy 2021, our annual spring conference. Pre-conference on May 14th and 17th, and the main conference, May 18th, 19th, and 20th. For more information and to register, please visit weedy.org.